this is Ashley Mazurik and welcome to the Balanced Body Podcast. Today I am going to talk about uh, something that <clears throat> is uh, something that's important from the standpoint of mental illness as I have just recently been aware of someone in my family who has it that is quite young. And so as you know, I've been doing some podcasts on a lot of the stuff I've been um, actively learning. Uh, and I am using this podcast to share with you the, the items of education that I feel are most impactful and feel like can help others, especially if they don't know about it. And so I will invite you to go see this on your own. And so Today's podcast is about giving you the cliff notes of a TED Talk that was done by Dr. David Hendricks, titled, The Mind is Everything. And it was very, very interesting. And because I just started my whole mindfulness series about meditation and breathing, uh, it, it kind of coincides in that with that. And I'm glad because it shows that um, for those of you who know your purpose and like validation, it, it is a validating uh, item for me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so part of what he talks about is how adversity in a child, and, and y'all know I teach infant development in one of my classes, so infant development is also very intriguing. And if you're like me, uh, and you have been exposed to adversity in your childhood, then you resonate with this information as it sort of haunts you on a daily basis as it relates to your mind and the negative thoughts that ruminate because of the adversity that happened in your childhood, which Dr. Hendricks talks about the research behind validating that very thing. And so if we're, and I love how he talks about, he, didn't, he doesn't talk about abuse, in childhood, he talks about adversity, which I love that word that he uses. And he talks about the eight forms of adversity that this research was done, which ultimately, when, which, when it was dug into very deeply by something called the ACE study back in 1999, they found that 80% of addictions in the U.S. Uh, within adults uh, was caused by the, the the maltreated individual that was exposed to two to four to eight forms of this adversity. And the percentages, when we, when we talk about 80%, that is when an a, adult was exposed as a child to four more forms of this adversity. And these eight forms are consistent of physical abuse, mental emotional abuse, sexual abuse, witnessing a mother being abused, divorce or separation, the parent, 
the guardian, mother or father, or if neither one existed and you had another guardian, was a criminal, that is a form of adversity. Having that caregiver being mentally ill is a form of adversity. And the last, the eighth form of adversity is having that caregiver be addicted to drugs. So when I talk about um, addictions, don't forget when we reference addictions, I've always stated that an addiction is, is a need not being met. And so we'll wrap around to that again at the very end to talk about how that is important as we go through this um, piece of these pieces of information that are so important to an adult that may have some form of addiction, mental illness, or just have a lot of negative effects or thoughts that we would want them to turn around and make them positive so that they can be in control and empower themselves um, with a life that they choose versus, as you all know, um, somebody that is exposed to this, it, it doesn't feel like they're in control and they're constantly wounded by these negative uh, thoughts and feelings about themselves and it is due to that abuse. What was interesting is we've, we've, we know through research that when the child goes through abuse or adversity, you could call it, the brain tends to shrink. And so when we talk about the brain, we talk about the hippocampus where new neurons can be formed by new learning experiences to create change in the brain, which means thought, thoughts, a new thought can create a new feeling and create shifts. And the learning, meaning thinking, can change and have a positive effect on individuals and on an individual. And this I'll mention again, happens by way of what we now know of as epigenetics and then neurogenetics, uh, which I've talked about in the past. So what, what Dr. Hendricks talks about is that with in regards to the ACE study in 1999, the psych records show that of the eight forms of adversity, if you were had experience of one form uh, of the U.S. Po po population showed that there was one form of adversity in 64% of the U.S. population. And then it showed that two forms of adversity were experienced in 40% of the population. And four or more forms of adversity of the eight that I shared, 13% uh, of the population had some sort of um, experience of, which ultimately that 13% typically goes into some form of um, drug use, or injection of drugs. Ultimately, that person experiences some sort of side effect called mental illness. And so adversity alters the brains of these kids. And I talked about how it shrinks them 
but this attributes to drug addiction, suicide, and mental illness. And now the latest research shows that the brain can change in adulthood and new functional potentialities can happen. Uh, and that's really by way of birthing new brain cells. Uh, every, new, every new learning experience converts into a new memory. And that's by way of new neurons being created um, by way of that thought and that feeling which creates a shift. So what they're saying is the new learning essentially is goes from a negative affect to a positive affect and the new thought being I just discovered that I'm actually a decent person and ultimately what they say about these children that were exposed to a lot of adversity was that they have this reoccurring message inside of them that is you are a bad kid and that is unfortunate and what's interesting is he shares the experiment of rat babies and what they did was they de they deprived rat babies of maternal care that they needed and when they didn't get it there was an there is the epigenetic machine in the brain that is aware of it and physically moves to the nucleus of of the cell within the brain of the gene of a gene that then what which that gene is responsible for modulating responses to stress. Well, when the rat babies are at a loss of maternal care, that gene gets shut off. And therefore, these rats showed experiences, which ultimately, that also means adults, the brain then can't control stress. And it can't be stopped. And so these people that experience this, they can't control stress. They tend to be very reactionary versus responsive. And this ultimately becomes toxic for the nervous system tissues. It kills brain cells, hence the smaller size and brain that they showed. Uh, uh, and that was shown on uh, brain scans of maltreated children. And ultimately, they show um, basically experiences of these rats being mentally ill. And so these particular types of responses cascade into what is diagnosed in the medical profession as PTSD. But if the maternal care is then later returned to the rat babies, the epigenetic machine in the brain hear about, hears about it and switches the gene response and it turns the stress response back on and the stress that that person incurs or the baby incurs is now under control. The brain is then healed and the rat then stops acting mentally ill and lives a normal life. So what Dr. David Hendricks found was his practice that he's created in Traverse uh, City. He found that science shows uh, the brain conversion of strengthening and uh, growing into a positive effect takes about five years of therapy with this 
ability to strengthen the brain and then create and to have two new role models like him and his wife in their practice act like for these individuals that have mental illness that he works with. So adversity essentially changes the brain. It sets the mood in the brain and it drives addiction and mental illness. So what we do know today by way of the epigenetics and neurogenesis that everyday experiences can change the brain. And that is something that's very positive moving forward with science and research. And so what he shared was a Buddhist perspective. And this is where we get to the important nuts and bolts. Um, and he studied, he's a studied Buddhist and he, him and his wife did study Buddhism as it related to human psychology. And so what he found was brain imaging research says and shows that meditation, meditation or mindfulness practices have a profound positive impact on several regions of the brain that ultimately affect the central nervous system. And most importantly, these areas that it affects most positively is the areas that become atrophied in childhood caused by adversity in their, um, in their, in their childhood by their caregivers. And so what he found that is after a researcher, after four hours of meditation practice and that, and that, what was so interesting about four hours, it's not four consistent hours. It's not one hour every day. It's four hours cumulated over, it could be months, it could be years, causes the brain imaging to show a marked enhancement of activation of those regions responsible for focused attention, which ultimately what's focused attention is mindfulness. And what he also found was after 11 hours, the regions were, were so strong in hypertrophy so that you could focus on whatever you choose to focus on. And so ultimately, this, what's so powerful about this message that he gives is we always talk about the many multitude of benefits of doing mindfulness meditation or breathing work. But anybody who struggles with mental illness, mental illness or struggles with um, a wounded thought process, and, and I'm not saying this, that we're victims. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you feel like that is something you struggle with on a daily basis to give you energy, rise up, and to change your thought patterns to positive and struggle to do that from negative, then what I'm saying is meditation, even if it's a five, 10 minutes a day, can very much help you change your brain, which ultimately connects with the mind, and you can, can become a new person and within months. And let me just plug here once again, if you are interested in something like that, I will have my mindfulness series up and it's five minutes, it's 10 minutes and we're going to start slow and 
you take that first one and you every day you use it until my second video comes up and then you use that one and we'll do this every day I will do this every day together but I will provide a video my promise for 2020 is to provide a video every single week and I will be right there with you working on my mindfulness practice because what this mindfulness practice says that we have the enhanced functional capacity to separate the mind from the brain. And this methodology can help cure the mind that was once broken and atrophied through childhood adversity. So mindfulness is aware, is being, is becoming, is, is to be every day better at becoming more aware. And we talk about awareness. But most importantly, in this particular situation, in this particular podcast, in this particular sharing of information, what I want to focus on is, is awareing, aware of the thoughts and feelings that you have that are destructive, that pull you down, that make you not feel good, make you feel depressed. This mindfulness practice can make you aware so that you can turn it around into something positive. So first thing that we can do to help this process is when you slowly but surely, you will become more aware. And, it, and the beautiful thing is, is it only gets better the more you meditate. But you give that thought or that feeling, you give it a name. You name that feeling, you name that thought. And then you categorize it. I like this because I am very, very much a compartmentalized individual. So awesome. So you compartmentalize it. Is it a harmful thought or feeling? Or is it a beneficial thought or feeling for you? Because don't forget, if it's harmful, then it reduces your happiness. And it also reduces your mental health. And if it's beneficial, if it's positive, which I hope it is, then ultimately you're benefiting your mental illness or your mental health and you are becoming more happy. And that is beautiful. So number three in this and these things to do is in number three, you ultimately choose to reduce the power of the negative and turn it into a positive witness so ultimate ultimately as you go through life then the mindfulness awareness practice allows you to be a witness in what you endeavor in and what you say to individuals in your relationships and oftentimes you might have find found yourself in the past i know i have walking away from a conversation regretting terribly what you said because or for me sometimes I'll judge it and I'll my conversation to me not necessarily to the other person may have seemed very negative and maybe it didn't come off as it but it's me judging myself and so what we want to do is become a better witness and then that way what comes out of our mouth we can immediately choose to change before it actually happens and we we can, we can choose to be more responsive versus reactive. And that switching of the intention allows us to focus on a more positive outcome 
due to the mind commanding the brain through the practice of meditation. And the whole idea behind this, this whole beautiful Buddhist philosophy that focuses on the mind and says that the mind is everything, is so that there's more positive effects from you in your relationships and within yourself, within your internal dialogue. Because at the end of the day, when you do have a positive, strengthened, powerful mind, then you have the effect of the feeling that it's okay. And when people feel like they're okay, there isn't need for an addiction. Because like I said in the beginning, if an addiction is an unmet need, that means that you're in need of something. And when you have that Ultimately, when you're not in control of your addictions, it's subconscious. And so you just, you don't even know why you're eating a bag of Oreos or a whole pint of organic ice cream or um, I don't, eating something that ultimately doesn't serve you. So that is an addiction. And it's, if it's unconscious, then the mindfulness practice creates consciousness and you and you have the ability to go i want a pint of ice cream why do i want it what's the need not being met and ultimately you're able to do your work and if you feel okay and you feel like your needs are being met by yourself by way of creating love internal love for self because meditation creates it opens your heart that's what's so beautiful about it opens your heart and you feel love and that's what we want to do is we want to create love for ourselves versus expecting other people to love us and that whenever we form an expectation oh i can tell you about that it just causes frustration and it's not taking responsibility so if you need love whatever kind of love you need giving it to yourself to make yourself okay, and then you don't need an addiction. You don't need an external source, an external person, an external ice cream, an external cookies, an external whatever it is to give you the love that you can't provide for yourself. So, so what I'm saying in this podcast is, which is near and dear to my heart, It's so important to me because I know that so many people struggle with this and it's not easy. It's not, it's not something that happens overnight, but it does take practice. And what I'm saying is I'm here with you to do this and practice this and help you through by doing this meditation and by sharing this such valuable information to motivate you to know that there's research out there that creates validation that it can be done i'm living proof that it can be done and there are a lot of other people that are living proof of it so if that's true then why not give it a try so i hope i will um have you um experienced these the, the meditation series with me 
And I'll look forward to our next chat on the podcast, sharing more interesting information that truly only inspires, motivates us to be better than we were yesterday or five minutes ago. And that's not, it does, because I, yes, I am a competitive person, but it's not about being competitive. It's just about, it's just about growing and growth can sometimes be hard and can be scary and can be a lot of work. But if we take small baby steps, it's absolutely doable. And we can then be proud of ourselves. Every morning we can wake up and pat ourselves on the back or as we go to bed, pat ourselves on the back and review what wonderful things we did to help ourselves grow in a better place so that we can offer more love to ourselves and other people. Till next time, thanks for joining me on this Balanced Body Podcast and I will chat next time.